very thankful for who and what the Lord is. We're thankful for what He has given us, and we're glad today to see uh, what the Lord is going to do in the midst of our time together. John chapter 6, and looking at verse 16, uh, the Bible tells us here, it says, And when evening was now come, His disciples went down into the sea, <clears throat> and entered into a ship, went, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Uh, for your opportunity and time to be together. We pray, dear God, that you would speak to us this morning, that we may be able to hear from you on high, that we may be able to hear from what you have for us in the Word of God, dear God. I pray you bless our hearts, our minds, and our souls. And, and Father, allow us to be attentive this morning. Most importantly, I pray that allow us to take the Word of God and apply it into our lives and to the lives around us. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. This morning, guys, we get into this first part of John, this fourth part of John chapter 6 sermon series, and we're going to look at today something that every soul somewhere along the line in their life are going to face. And if you're here today, saved and born again, there was a time in your life where you had what I'm titling the moment, the moment, guys, something that is very, very important in the midst of the events recorded here in all four Gospels, especially what we're going to see in John and chapter uh, 6 this morning. So, guys, the Lord's first coming, they crowned him with a crown of thorns. We know that was prophesied. Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 8 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to, uh, to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he is cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Guys, we find, as we looked at last week when we covered the mountain, this is before the moment, when we covered the mountain, uh, that his move to the mountain, guys, again, as we heard last week, typifies the church age. And it's important for us to understand that. Matthew chapter 14 in his account says in verse 22 through 25, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him under the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. What is important for us to understand, guys, is as we looked at the mountain, and today we're going to begin to focus on that, that moment in our lives and in the disciples' life, is that the watch that you read about that is on the screen right now, in which Jesus Christ will return, is said to be the fourth watch. The fourth watch is the morning watch, and it's the time in the morning when the, the master of the house returns. In Mark 
chapter 13 and verse 35, uh, the Bible says, Watch ye therefore, you know not, when the master of the house cometh uh, at even or at midnight or at the cockcrowing or in the morning. So most Bible scholars today, again, most self-proclaimed Bible scholars, they, they overlook the main theme of the Bible again. And as we mentioned four weeks ago, it is that second coming of the, of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our present dispensation right now, our church age, this wonderful and glorious and precious age of grace is likened unto that old ship of Zion passing through the stormy waters of life, if you will. But while we pass through the stormy waters of life, we have a captain. That captain is mentioned in Hebrews 2, verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bring him any sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now here's the thing, in this old ship of Zion, in this church age that we're in now, steadily and, and willingly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ, the captain of the ship is currently upstairs, if you will. He's upstairs. We sell this in verse 15 of John 6. In Hebrews 12, 22 says, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, our Lord, our Captain, our Savior, he's in that mountain, if you will. We're having our moment in the church age, but he's, having, he's in that mountain right now, that Mount Zion. The same thing that we see in verse 15 of our text when it says that he departed again into a mountain himself alone. It's described in Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 23, and I'll read that to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven and to the God uh, and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits, just men made perfect. I'm saying all that to say this this morning. We need to understand today that naturally our 320 Bible critics, if you will, miss all of the passages, all of the cross-references concerning this dispensation and how our captain of the old ship of Zion, the church age in which we are living in today, is sitting in heavenly places, beloved. He's sitting there waiting for his return, and that's what it's directing toward, God. This present dispensation, this church age, if i got to be just frank with you guys, is about to end. It's going to end shortly, and we need to be looking for that captain to return. The Lord proves his deity. We saw that in our text, John 6, verse 21. And it solidifies, listen carefully, this is where we're getting ready to springboard into the sermon today. By him proving his deity in verse 21, when they willingly received him into the ship, we see the winds to cease, the, the ships over by the seaside. It solidifies the power of self to be 100% insufficient. In Matthew's account, Matthew 14, verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, we're going to look at this later on in the message, wherefore didst thou doubt? Friend, I want to tell you this this morning. The events recorded here in John and in all four of the Gospels concerning this, this, this event proves that he can control the elements proves that. Verse 32 in Matthew 14 tells us that when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. That, that, that applies in our life in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It gives the believer absolute assurance of eternal salvation today. Absolute assurance. No doubt, 
no confusion, all of these things. And verse 21, as you're going to see this morning in John chapter 6, this is where we sink our heels in. This is where our moment in our life should sink in, should stay. I mean, beloved, this should be the time of our life that we look at and understand fully and faithfully who and what our Lord and Savior is today. So this is what we're going to see this morning. So, beloved, we find in our next text in John chapter 6, getting into our next point, that the disciples got into that ship. The Lord Jesus Christ, we know, went up to that mountain, and there's that period of time there, and they, they begin to, to row, the Bible says, 25 or 30 furlongs. It's about 3.25 miles. So they, listen, or 3, 3.75 miles. Uh, they, they, they rode. Now, that's, that's not a short distance in all fairness. Now, I don't know which direction they were going in, and they probably didn't know either when that storm started hitting, okay? But guys, they, they got out there nearly four miles of rowing, and that storm set in on them, and it rolled in. It was a big storm, guys. It was a storm which handled them like a paper airplane. And can I say this to you this morning, right here on the onset of our first point? We all have storms in our life, do we not? Every one of us has them. Some of them, they come in just a little sprinkling, barely any wind, just a little mist that comes in our day, and then they go away. And some comes into our life fast and furious. I mean, they are, the winds are blowing, the, the, the winds are howling, the thunder is banging, the lightning is seen, the rain is coming down. And, and guys, there's something that we need to know this morning when we address this moment in our life as we see it in the disciples' life, as it applies to us in the church age today. As these storms roll in quickly, I want us to understand that there is a reason for the storms in your life. There's a reason for it. Look at verse 19 of our text in John chapter 6. Verse 19, it says, So when they had rowed about five and twenty and thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship. Friends, storms are meant for a reason. Storms will come into our lives to, uh, to steer us toward Jesus Christ. Notice how the storm dictated their every move. Notice how it, 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 it controlled their every position. And however, the purpose of this storm uh, was to control, uh, is to control their goings. And many times they're to steer us where we need to go. Other times they're meant to stop us from where we should not go. But each time and every time a storm comes in our life, whether they're to steer or to stop, they're meant to strengthen us in our Christian life. They are meant to bring us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew's account uh, of this storm in verse 20, or the 24th verse of chapter 14 tells us, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea. The Bible says it was tossed with waves. And it says, for the wind was contrary. The wind was contrary. Have you ever met someone that you, you just say, man, they're just contrary? We had a guy in our church years and years and years ago. He's passed on now, and um, he was probably the most contrary. Not here. This is in uh, this is in the states. He was probably the most contrary person I'd ever met. He complained about everything. The weather outside was too cold. It was too hot inside. It was too cold inside. It was too hot outside. It was too dry. Uh, it was too wet. It was too windy. It was too dark. It was too bright. I mean, everything. He didn't like how this person dressed, how that person dressed. I had to literally rebuke this guy. He was two and a half times my age, I think, at that time. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, because he was just a contrary guy. Guys, think about that. For, you know, by the way, if somebody says you're contrary, that's not a compliment, all right? 
That's not a compliment at all. That's kind of maybe a southern thing to use the word contrary, but it is what it is. These winds were contrary to the disciples. They were trying to hinder them, to keep them, but they were steering them in the direction that God wanted them to go to. But not only that, they were stopping them and going places where uh, the Lord didn't want them to go for one reason, to strengthen them to get them to where Jesus Christ was. So I want you to look at the results real quick. I want you to bear with me on this this morning. Look at the results here, if you will. What is that? Oh, here we go. The results. So look at the results here. Um, I just popped up. Sorry, guys. So look in verse 19. We're going to look at the latter part of this real quick. I may not have it up there. We're going to move on. Anyway, all right, so look in verse 19b with me real quick, 19b, uh, the latter part. What does it say at the end of that verse? It says, and they were afraid, and they were afraid, okay? So when we understand here that it says that they were afraid, I want you to notice again in Matthew, and I'm going to read this one to you because I don't think it's on the screen, but in Matthew, verses 14 through uh, 25 through 26, it says that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking under the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking under the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. The Bible says they were troubled, guys. Bible says that they were in fear. They're crying out for fear. Friend, let me give you what the issue is here now with the disciples. They're down on the ship. Jesus is up in the mountain. They're, they're getting in the midst of the storms. The storms are doing whatever they want to with them. But there's a lesson to learn here. All of us in our life, every single time, somewhere along the line, we have fallen prey to exactly what's going on with the disciples. Okay? Now, they're working, guys. Nothing against work. There's nothing against work whatsoever. They're trying to work the problem. And we should always work the problem. But here's their problem. They're trying to do it in their own power. Guys, when we put our trust in our works, in our walk, or in our way, the only result, and I say this to you again, the only result is going to be fear. It's going to be fear. You say, well, what about damage? Yeah, you're going to have damage, you're going to have mistakes, you have consequences, but you are going to be stricken by fear when we try to put our faith and our trust and our dependence in our own selves. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The spirit of fear, guys, is a result of man's works, man's walk, and man's way. And it's terrible fear. The spirit of fear, guys, takes over an individual, and it can be absolutely terrifying. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Why? Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear has torment. So why do you suppose this fear, paralyzing fear, I'll call it, enters into our life when we trust in our works, our walk, and our way? Is it because you or I are insecure? Is it because of insecurity? Now, hang on just a second. I'm not saying, I know, I know everyone doesn't suffer from insecurity. I know that. There are people who do. Uh, there are people who just, they're insecure about a lot of things in their life. But I'm going to talk about every one of us here today. Some people aren't insecure in what they do, all right, in their talents or whatever there is. But there's one thing that we know about ourselves. We know our own mistakes. 
At least I hope we do. We know the messes that we have made. We know the accidents that we have had in our life and that we've made in our own life. And I'm not even talking about sin, guys. I'm not even talking about that. Take a wrong turn. Stop too, stop too short. Hit someone. Somebody hits you. You left the cooker on. Left the iron on. You know, didn't lock the door. Little things like that. Bad decisions and ill choices. It doesn't have to be sin. It can just be mistakes. So when we know our own failures, our own shortcomings, our own ability to make bad decisions and ill choices, the result is a paralyzing fear when we trust solely in our works. We know we're not perfect, guys. We know our works will, will never be good enough to get us to heaven. We know that deep down inside. And mind you guys, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this right now. The people who do believe that, the people who adhere to a work salvation, they know deep down inside of their own heart that their works are never going to get them to paradise or to nirvana or to the ascendant whatever or to heaven. They know that. No matter how better we are than our counterparts, you may have a tendency sometimes to say, yeah, well, I'm not as bad as, you know, so-and-so down the street. I'm not as bad as this person in history. Guys, it doesn't matter. You're not being measured against so-and-so down the street nor so-and-so back in history. You're being measured against Jesus Christ, who is perfect in himself. This is what was instilled in our hearts, resulting in fear, guys, a fear which has torments because we know our own shortcomings. Therefore, storms come into our life. They come in there for a reason, to shake us up just a little bit, to steer us back toward where we need to go, to stop us from going where we shouldn't go, but to strengthen us, point number three, so that we may realize, so that we may realize. Look there in verse 20 with me. Look in verse 20. But he saith unto them, it is I, be not afraid. You say, well, preacher, what do you mean realize here? What are we realizing? They see Jesus Christ walking on the water. They're already in the midst of the storm. Now, there's a beautiful counterpart here. There's a beautiful side note on this. Is that when Jesus showed up, he took all their attention off the storm. They was no longer afraid of the waves and the wind and all of this. Now they're afraid of that. Their attention came off the storms they were in. And it got focused on where it should be. That's a side note. That'd be free this morning. That's not part of the message, but... But it is something you can put in your pocket and think about when those storms come where your eyes need to be directed. Amen. You see, those storms come in, they steer us, they stop us, they strengthen us so that we may realize who and what Jesus Christ is. He is our Savior, my friend. He is our security. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Beloved, Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord, He is our Lord, and He is our friend. Amen. The Bible tells me in Proverbs in chapter 18, uh, verse 24, it says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jesus Christ is that kind of friend. He is the friend who gave it all. The Bible says in John 15, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Do you know what the reality is today, guys? The truth, the unsinkable truth, is that every soul in the world today must realize their works do not work. That's it. They don't work. I'm not saying you should stop doing good works. Matter of fact, if you're saved, you're saved to do good works. 
Matter of fact, your inheritance in heaven is determined by your good works. I believe I mentioned that last week. No good works, no, no inheritance. That's just the way it is. All right? You need to realize who and what Jesus Christ is, always has been, and always will be. You say, preacher, this is Sunday school material. This is, this is light stuff. This is little stuff. Yeah, this is little stuff. But I believe we need to understand it in our heart today. That in our life this morning, my friend, we need to realize who's the master of that old ship of Zion. We need to realize who that captain of the ship is. We need to realize what he's done for us. We need to realize that our works are not going to get us to heaven. We need to realize what our needs are and what needs to be done in our life. And we see this here. We see a beautiful picture here of something that uh, I can't even say that I've seen it until uh, until yesterday when I sat down and began to handwrite some, some notes out, some thoughts. We need to realize who and what Jesus is. We understand the results, uh, guys, of us, uh, of the storms that come in our life and the reason they're there. And guys, it all comes down to this next point, the final point. We need to receive. Now, I want you to focus on this, if you will, there in verse 21. Again, we come back to where Jesus Christ Reveals his deity, proves his deity. It says, then they, they are those in the ship, the same ones that were just afraid, the same ones that Matthew said were crying aloud and were troubled. They willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Now, did you catch that this morning in that verse? Willingly received. Now, you either believe the Word of God to be holy, perfect, pure, without void. You either believe that the Word of God keeps its promises. We know that God, it is the Word of God, so if it is the Word of God, uh, God cannot lie, and God said Himself that I shall keep them. He said that He would preserve them from this generation forever. He not only said He was going to preserve them, He promised, Psalm 12, that He would purify them. Okay? that he would purify them. So you either believe that he is going to keep that promise today, or you don't. So I'm asking you this question in your own heart. Do you believe today the Holy Spirit of God placed that word willingly there for no reason at all? Not a chance. Not a chance. John tends to write in a way in this sense. He gives us, I don't want to say he gives us the high points, but there's a bit of the way that he does. And this is one of the reasons why we understand the main theme of the Bible is focusing on that second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the Gospels, the authors of the Gospels uh, putting this account in there. But some of them had some things, some of them didn't have other things, and there's a reason behind it. But I want you to look here and see what Matthew had to say, what Matthew's account is. We see in Matthew in chapter 14, verses 28 through 33, and it says here, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, if it be thou, you know this story, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter was come down out of the ship. He walked on the water. So here's Peter. Get the picture with me. Lord, if it's really you, because I'm, de I'm deathly afraid of the storm. Now I'm not afraid of the storm. I'm afraid of what's walking on the water. What's walking on the water says, hey, be not afraid. It is I. Peter says, hang on. 
We always get Thomas. We always blame Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? Because he wouldn't believe unless he put his hands in his side after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, this is not even the resurrection yet. And Peter says, if it's you, I want you to prove it. Right? Bid me to come. He said, come on. Peter gets out of the boat, gets, in, gets on the water, starts, starts defying the laws of physics. He gets out, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. There's his intent, right? His intent is to walk on this water and to go to Jesus. And guess what, guys? Understand this. That's what he was doing. He was walking on the water, just like Jesus Christ was. But then he started looking around. But when he saw the wind boisterous, here comes that fear again. Here comes trusting in ourselves. Here comes our own abilities. Starts looking around at the wind. He was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Verse 31 tells us there, it says, uh, Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. So let's put the two together. Let's put the two accounts. We're going to see one more account here this morning. We'll be done. Let's put the two accounts together. So John is pinning, saying, Okay. Uh, they see Jesus walking on the water. They're afraid of him, but he comes into the ship. They, they willingly received him into the ship. All right, then immediately they were on the seashore. Matthew gives us a little more detailed account saying that, hey, the wind's coming. Here comes Jesus. We're not looking at the storm. Uh, Jesus Christ is walking. Now we're afraid of him. Peter walks on the water. He loses his faith. He drops it. Jesus Christ rebukes him. Then they begin to worship him. So when that word willingly is there with John, and we put the two together, in Matthew it says in verse 33, uh, they started to worship him, and they said, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. And John, he says, they willingly received Jesus in the ship. So let's put those together. Who do the disciples willingly receive into the ship? The Son of God. The promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, they willingly received it. And why am I emphasizing that point so greatly this morning? I'm going to tell you why. Because I've heard Calvinistic preachers mock out men of God saying this quote. I've heard men of God say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and will not force himself upon anyone. I've said that. Great men of God have said that. And I've heard Calvinistic preachers get into the pulpit and mock those men out for it. Beloved, that's a true statement. Do you know that today? The Holy Spirit of God is not going to force himself upon you. He's going to convict you, and you should be convicted. He's going to convict me, and I should be convicted. Amen? That's how you get saved. You're convicted of your sins, your need of a Savior, and you turn to Jesus Christ, and you willingly receive Him as Lord and Savior. You're not saved any other way, by the way. You're not born into salvation. You're not christened into salvation. You're not baptized into salvation. You are saved through the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and your confession unto Him as the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe upon His death, burial, and resurrection, asking forgiveness of your sins and the invitation in your heart. If you did it any other way, guys, you're not saved this morning, do you understand? Willingly receive. 
He's not going to force himself into you or upon you. You know what he will do? He'll walk on by, won't he? He'll walk on by. He may come into your life. He may convict your heart of your sins, your need of a Savior. And you say, you know what? I don't want that. He'll just keep on moving, son. We know that by Mark's account. Mark says in Mark 6, 48, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. About the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, Watch those next few words. And would have passed by them. I am a biblicist. I believe every word, every jot, every tittle of the unholy and errant word of God found in this AV 1611. That's what it is. And so if the Bible tells me here in Mark and his account saying and would have passed by, we're going to meld them all together, aren't we? They're all afraid in the midst of the storm. They're all working themselves to get, in the, get out of this storm. The storm is steering them in the right direction toward Jesus, stopping them from going where they're not needing to go, strengthening them in the mist. But now they're not afraid of the storm anymore. They're afraid of Jesus walking on the sea. He says, be not afraid. It is I. Peter wants a bit of a proof. He got the proof. He rebuked them for having a little faith. He came into the ship. They willingly received him in the ship. But before all of those things happened, when Jesus was walked by, had they not said something or be willing to have him there, he'd have kept on walking. You say, preacher, where would he have gone? Other side of the sea where they were headed and do a work over there. That's just the Bible, guys. And I, I, I'd love to ask the high-minded, pompous Calvinist today, what do you think about that? What do you got to say about that verse? Nothing worth listening to, I can promise you that this morning. What does all this have to do? Guys, this is the moment of the disciples' life. This is the moment right here. They've seen the miracles. They knew Jesus walked up into the mountain. They were waiting for him to come back. And what typifies by him going to that mountain is the church age that we are in right now. And I believe in all of my heart today that he is nigh unto coming back. And so a lost soul this morning who knows not the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, a person who has never came to that, 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 that time in the midst of the storms, steering them toward Jesus, stopping them from going too far and crossing that deadline, that person there that is lost and on their way to a devil's hell, this is the moment that you willingly receive. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That if thou shalt confess to thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's simple today, amen. Romans 10, 9. Recognize who, who you are. Realize who and what Jesus Christ is this morning. Understand your need for a Savior today and willingly receive him. Else he's going to walk on by. The moment, guys. This is the moment that our counterparts, our friends, our families, this is the, the moment that in a soul's life when the, the reason of the storm resulted in fear causes them to realize who and what Jesus Christ is so they may willingly receive him. And I'm going to say this to you this morning, not be done. There are people in your life today Neighbors, friends, family members, co-workers, even people who don't even like you, enemies. 
man, they're in the midst of a storm. They're in the midst of something in their life, and the reason for that storm is to get them closer to Jesus. And I'm going to say this to you today. Do you know how they're going to get closer to Jesus? You. You. Missions and soul winning is the heart of God, but he has put it into our hands. We like to, you know, we, we hear these people say, well, whoever's going to be saved, they're going to be saved. God knows it. No, sir. No, sir. If God has put somebody into your life for you to be a light unto them, a, a seed to be planted, Paul says, hey, you know, one planteth, one waters, but God bringeth the increase. The plant and the water has to happen first. Amen? There's people in your life having going through storms, and they're going through storms for a reason. God's put you there. So they may see the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that it may calm the seas of their storms that they're being steered toward Jesus. They're stopping going too far, but they're being strengthened so they may be given the opportunity willingly to receive. If you're here today and you're saved and born again, praise God for that. If you're listening this morning and you're saved and born again, praise God for that. If you're here this morning or listening today and you are not saved, you are not sure that if you died this morning, you would go into and enter into heaven's gates, that you would see Jesus Christ. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I beg you, I plead with you today to make your confession sure. Bow your hearts, bow your heads, bow your, your soul today. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord and God. Believe on his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and make it personal today and ask him, Lord, please forgive me. Please save my soul today that I may have eternal life because this is your moment this morning. For those who are saved, your moment is to go forward and give somebody else the moment. For those who are not saved today, guys, time is short. Jesus went into that mountain. The old ship of Zion was upon the stormy seas. And Christ's return is, is imminent. Where the storm will be ceased, the wind will be calmed, and life will be evermore with him. But until that point, my friend, there are moments that need to be had in this world today for people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We bow your heads this morning. Father in heaven, I thank you, dear Lord, for all you've done, for who and what you are, for all that you've given us. I pray, Lord, that we would take the account here that we found in John 6 that would be a convicting, motivating event. So much going on, so much doctrinally to see. The depth of, of just these handful of verses, Father, is just probably unfathomable. I pray that small justice was done this morning. I pray, dear God, convict us. Help us be that light to the lost today that souls may come to know you so that hearts and minds may be changed to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Seren Chapel in Abraham. 
We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel, and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall, and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today, by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.